What do you say to God when you realize you've run from him? When you recognize you've wandered far from the path, sinned against God, and desperately desire to turn back toward him? The Bible is full of examples of characters with deep sin problems, but also with examples of people repenting and prayerfully dialoguing with their creator about their sin. Psalm 51 is one example of how sin-induced pain and despair can cause us to plead out to God in genuine repentance. Have mercy on me, God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is constantly before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done that which was evil in your sight, that you may be proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't throw me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, my mouth shall declare your praise. For you don't delight in sacrifice, or else I would give it. You have no pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, will you not despise. Do well in your good pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of righteousness, in burnt offerings and in whole burnt offerings. Then they will offer bulls on your altar. Psalm 51. Welcome back to From Hevel to Eternity, my Bible study podcast. I'm Brian, and this episode is all about everybody's favorite topics, sin and prayer and repentance, as reflected specifically through Psalm 51. So this psalm focuses on confessing hard truths and dialoguing with God about our sinful deeds. I want to be very clear before we dive into this topic. We all sin. We all have sinned in the past. We all will sin again in the future. We all are living in some sin right now. We are a fallen humanity and we exist in a fallen world. This message should apply to all of us at any time in our lives. But I also know, just as with the author of this psalm, that there are some acts that cause us to fall on our knees in tearful prayer faster than others. J. Alec Motyer described that Psalm 51 is the Old Testament's central text on repentance. I pray for forgiveness a lot. I am constantly asking God to align my ways with His ways. But I can also look back on my life and pull a handful of times when I've run in a sinful, prideful, worldly direction, and I end up pleading, God, I have turned astray. 
I have run from you. I have run into the arms of some worldly thing. And I know that now. I confess that now. I admit that those things were false, that those things were selfish desires that offered only fleeting joy. And here before you now, I recognize that your embrace is the true embrace, that your truths are the real truths, that the joy I find in you is greater than anything else I could run to. Please forgive me for that. Please turn me back on your path. Please raise my head toward you and lift my spirit. Please, Lord, forgive my sins and transform my heart to desire what you desire, to chase after and worship you above all else. God is not after empty words and hollow announcements. I've confessed to God and I can confess here that there are times I have prayed for forgiveness and change for only like 90% of my heart but I still wanted to wall off a small section. Like, God, keep me from living like this, except for this little section. Can you just give me this little selfish indulgence here? The rest of me you can have, but this part, this part I want to keep as mine. Like, God wants all of us. He wants us to come open-handed to him, and he wants us to be honest in our relationship with him. So as we work through this psalm, I pray that my prayers, that our prayers, would reflect genuine faith, that leads to biblical repentance, and that they will come out of having a true desire for heart transformation. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David, written by King David, and a background on the events surrounding David's life at this point is essential for understanding this psalm. If you would like to read the entire account of the events leading up to this psalm being penned, then I recommend you read through 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. The cliff notes of the story is that David was king over Israel. He was conquering the enemies of Israel and Israel's prominence in the region was growing. Then the king made a false first step. Instead of going with his army to siege Rabbah, he sent an underling to command the army. The Bible says that at the time when kings go out to battle, King David sent Joab. So this laid the stage for tragedy. King David, from the comforts of Jerusalem, sees a woman Bathsheba bathing on a roof. He is enamored by this woman who is the wife of one of his faithful soldiers. He acts on this lust, and she ends up being pregnant by King David. David then attempts to cover up the incident by sending Uriah home to come home from the battlefield and to lay with his wife, hoping that he can blame her pregnancy on that instead. Uriah refuses, citing that the ark, Israel, and Judah are staying in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Basically, Uriah is saying that he won't indulge in comforts while his fellow soldiers can't either which, by the way, was kind of a backhanded slap at King David, who was enjoying a lot of comforts that his men couldn't enjoy. So now David has a real problem. Not only has he committed adultery, he's going to get caught red-handed. So his solution to this problem is to write a letter to David's commander in the field, saying, Send Uriah to the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck and die. He gives this letter ordering the execution of Uriah, to Uriah to deliver it. 
So Uriah is unknowingly ordered to transport his own execution orders by King David. Uriah does as he is told. He dies on the battlefield. David moves in to marry Bathsheba. They have their child, and David thinks he's gotten away with it. However, 2 Samuel chapter 11 ends, but the thing that David had done displeased Yahweh. So in 2 Samuel 12, God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David in his sin. The combination of being publicly called out for his sins and the death of his son create a wake-up call for King David. Psalm 51 is widely believed to have been authored directly after these events. Thomas Schreiner notes that David has sinned grievously by committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering Uriah, but he has not forgotten God, for he profoundly and from a broken and contrite heart asks God to forgive him. John MacArthur comments that, to David's credit, he recognized fully how horrendous his sin was against God, blamed no one but himself, and begged for divine forgiveness. Keep this probable context in mind as we dive into the psalm of repentance from King David. Have mercy on me, God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. So these first two verses describe David's full awareness of a mercy and a washing that only God can provide. The Nelson Compact Bible Commentary says that David's call for mercy is the only appropriate request for a confessing sinner. Psalm 6 verse 2 cries out, Have mercy on me, Yahweh, for I am faint. Yahweh, heal me, for my bones are troubled. And then Psalm 51 verse 3 continues, For I know my transgressions, my sin is constantly before me. Verse 3 highlights David's full awareness of the sins that he has committed. Haunted might not be the right word here, but we can tell that he is feeling the burden and the weight of what he has done. Psalm 38 speaks a similar word. It just expounds on it even more. So starting in verse 4 of Psalm 38, it says, For my iniquities have gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are loathsome and corrupt because of my foolishness. I am pained and bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long. For my waist is filled with burning. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am faint and severely bruised. I am groaned by reason and the anguish of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you. My groaning is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails. So again, it's just another psalm of repentance that's really describing this weight, this burden that somebody can feel when they know that they have sinned and that sin is in front of them. Then in verse 4, Psalm 51 verse 4, it says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight, that you may be proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. This verse is hard. David has this full awareness of who he has sinned against. He had sinned against Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. The Bible does not highlight that David had sinned against men. No, against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. So this is hard for us to grasp at times, and it's even harder for us to remember that all sin is first and foremost against God, our Creator. 
I know I have to catch myself when I sin and I start to feel guilty about wronging my wife or my son or a friend of mine. I have to pause, I have to pray, and I have to realign myself that before I seek forgiveness from them, I need to seek forgiveness from God. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Psalm 51 verses 5 through 9. In this section, we see a confession that we are prone to a sinful bend from birth. In sin, my mother conceived me. Like this starts at the beginning. In Old Testament laws found in Numbers and Leviticus, we see that hyssop is an agent used in cleansing and purification ceremonies. David also has this full awareness of what he needs from God. And among the things listed are wisdom, purification, joy, and forgiveness. Psalm 6 verse 4 carries a similar call when the psalmist declares, Return, Yahweh, deliver my soul, and save me for your loving kindness' sake. Then picking up back in Psalm 51 verses 10 through 12, we get, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't throw me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. So David has full awareness that God needs to work in him for this restoration to take place. This isn't a solo thing, an individualistic thing, a pull yourself up by your bootstraps thing. The word here, create, is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis 1-1 when God created the heavens and the earth. It's a word meaning to shape or fasten or give birth to something new, and that's not by our doing. After we have been washed clean and purified, we need God to create a clean heart in us, and then to fill that clean heart with a right spirit, with his Holy Spirit. Verse 11 reiterates us knowing that we need God with us and in us, in order for us to have any shot at the transformation that we desire. Have you ever felt downtrodden and beat down by your sin? Like you have confessed it, you earnestly desire to change, and you are opening your arms to God knowing you are forgiven, but still feeling this yoke around your neck that's taking your joy. Well, verse 12 is a verse worth praying over and over again. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. See, it's not that we've lost our salvation when we sin and then we get back our salvation when we confess our sins. No, as a Christian, your salvation isn't wishy-washy. But the joy that we feel in our salvation, it can be dulled by our sins, right? Like feeling the weight of sinning against God can limit our ability to rejoice in the forgiveness and salvation that we've been granted by God. David recognizes that only God can lift that yoke. I mean, Jesus even says in the book of Matthew, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
then I will teach transgressors your ways, sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, my mouth shall declare your praise. Psalm 51, verses 13 through 15. So David has full awareness that we must respond to God's mercy and God's grace by worshiping and praising him and by teaching others of the good news that only God provides. These verses should be music to our ears because David is acknowledging that God has saved him, but that he is also calling out to all sinners everywhere that God's amazing grace can be extended to you too. Psalm 51 verses 16 and 17 say, For you don't delight in sacrifice, or else I would give it. You have no pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In these verses, David shows full awareness of the mindset that we need moving forward. That someone who has repented and experienced forgiveness from God must come out the other side with a contrite mind and a humble heart. God's delight and God's pleasures is not in our religious expression, but in our inward transformation. Then the psalm closes with verses 18 and 19. Do well in your good pleasure to Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of righteousness, in burnt offerings, and in whole burnt offerings. Then they will offer bulls on your altar. In this last section, we see David with full awareness of the blessings that have been provided to him by God. There is a community aspect to these two verses. The idea of God doing good to Zion and rebuilding Jerusalem's walls and delighting in sacrifices, it's not something that resonates with us today. But the phrase, God, do well in your good pleasure to us, is a phrase that should resonate with us. Do well in your good pleasure, God. The blessings of God are echoed in the first two verses of Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom Yahweh doesn't impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When talking about receiving forgiveness through exhibiting genuine repentance, John Piper, in a Desiring God article, describes genuine repentance to include an authentic repudiation of the ugliness of that sin, and a turning to Christ for mercy and for the power of reformation and for the enjoyment of Christ himself as a superior pleasure to all such sins. I mentioned in the intro the concept of sin-induced pain and despair. I'm not talking about worry or anxiety or us doubting if we have outsinned the work of Jesus on the cross. We cannot outsin the work of Jesus. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that moment when in our pain we realize how far we have strayed from God. The moment when we become desperate to run back to God with open hands and to say, I am yours, this is what I have done. This is how I have strayed. I know you know that already. I know you know what is and has been in my heart, but I just want to lay it all bare before you to trust that you are a God who forgives my iniquity and to ask for you to change my sinful, prideful, 
arrogant and coveting heart to be more like your sons. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. I want to be clear that this is not a message from me talking at any of my listeners. This is me talking to myself before an audience. Repentance is a humbling thing, and it should be. Compiling my reflections on each of the passages in this psalm, we see that repentance requires full awareness of a mercy and a washing that only God can provide. Full awareness of our own sins. Full awareness that our sins are against God first and foremost. Full awareness that we need from God wisdom, purification, joy, and forgiveness. Full awareness that God has to work in us for transformation to occur. Full awareness that we must respond to God's mercy and God's grace by worshiping and praising Him and by teaching others of what God offers. Full awareness that we must have a contrite mind and a humble heart as we move forward. And then with that contrite mind and humble heart, we constantly have to have full awareness of the blessings that only God has provided to us. Thank you for listening. All Bible verses are from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. If you're looking for additional examples of repentant psalms, including some of the ones that I've quoted throughout this episode, then a few others to read are Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 102, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. Next episode, we'll close the week with another one-off episode about the importance that the Bible places on the public reading of Scripture. Until next time, I love y'all.